Hello, my name is Rachel Stonecipher, and I am the host of Stone Butch Disco. This here is a conversational podcast. Uh, what you're going to hear today is actually one of the first episodes that was recorded back when my friend Sam and I, basically I had the website stonebutchdisco.com and I was writing and I was creating that. And then I got in touch with her and was like, hey, do you want to do a podcast? Because I think some of the things that we're talking about are better talked than they are written, or at least those two things, those two medium media should go together. Um, and she was like, yeah, hell yeah. And so we started, we kind of came up with our own format where when we're both co-hosts, we'll, we have like different little segments of things. So you'll hear those kind of later in the episode, us just entertaining the shit out of ourselves. Um, but what happened was when we realized, I talked about this in the first episode when I was kind of explaining where we were going with this project, but when Sam and I realized that this thing, Stonebridge Disco, was making people feel seen in specific ways and in slightly different ways, I think, than we expected when we kind of saw that there was a, a need that could be met um, that we weren't, I guess, initially thinking was going to be the heart of it. Basically, we decided to kind of reset. And so as I explained in the first episode, I brought my sister in, just like I have for everything in my life when I need help. I brought her in and I was like, hey, will you help us kind of set the foundation for the academic nerdly bits of this, since since people seem to be craving the kind of like, well, craving is a very strong word. I probably used that word because I and a lot of other people I realized had been craving it, but people seem to be desiring the way that we're doing like social theory a little bit, but like doing social theory for butch lesbians, trying to make sense of our experience in the world. My sister said yes. So we started with that episode, but then Sam and I are going to co-host kind of throughout the, the tenure of Stone Butch Disco at various points. And then Sam will tag team it with me when she can and and Sam's entertaining as hell so I hope you enjoy this episode oh and by the way it's not that Sam is not totally competent with like the nerdly bits and not that she doesn't love them because I feel like she totally does given the like extent to which she's willing to go back and forth with me in an episode like this one um it's that Sam has a full-time job whereas I took out like half of my retirement fund to get this website and this podcast off the ground and we basically just realized that it was going to be more work than we had thought it would be when we were just going to be like shooting the shit in entertaining ourselves. So that's a little behind the scenes for how this unfolded. Um, as usual, we'll be bringing you kind of a combination of jokiness and nerdliness, but we hope that the nerdliness is, you know, not jargony. It's like I tortured myself in academia for a while, but that's, I think I came out of it. I phoenixed out of it as a friend says. And I realized that the more I tried to figure out stuff like what we talk about, the better I felt. So that's where this is coming from. And so I hope that, that this feels like a little warming flame um, for folks who who just like I did, maybe need whatever we're providing, whatever that is. So you're, you're welcome here. And, you know, Sam is a huge part of my Butch community, so I feel really honored to have her in on this project wherever she can be. And I really enjoyed listening back to this episode. I hope you do, too. Like, it just never was right. Yay! Fuck. No, okay. that's mine. Yeah. Do we want mine recording? I mean, you would just have to send it to me. And I don't know if you have enough room on your computer. You probably do. I think I, I had do. trouble with that. Okay, cool. Okay. That's fine. Let me do about this Mac and just check. Beep, boop, beep. beep, boop, beep. So I was thinking um, after we ha had the kind of pornographic conversation about apple cider, like what drinks I would let sit on my face. <laughs> and maybe like a nice chai tea. Oh, yeah, I think so. It's like warm and inviting. Yeah, I think so. Oh, I have so much available. Okay, okay. we're great then. Cool, cool, cool. Alrighty. 
Um, are we ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Okay. Woo! Hello, and welcome back to the Stone Butch Disco, because this is a real party and a real place, and you are all invited to dance with us a while. The lights are bouncing off the walls. The hallucinogens are optional, but the bell-bottom pants aren't, so put your pants on. You can take them off later. This one talking right now is Rachel Stonecipher, and I'm joined by my dashing co-host, Sam Block. Hello, Rachel, my uh, dashing academic butch friend. <laughs> How are you doing on this fine day? I'm doing quite all right. How are you? I'm great. I have some awesome apple cider to drink that we were just having a strange conversation where I was saying that I would let apple cider uh-huh. sit on my face if she was a person. Right. And I think that it stemmed from my misunderstanding of you. And I feel like a lot of our misunderstandings end up leading to really good ideas, like um, drinks sitting on faces. Understanding so, is know. generous because I don't know how to type. So I think <laughs> I did say. <laughs> it's a reinterpretation, a typo-inspired reinterpretation. And I'm all about it, personally. Speaking of sexual, <laughs> our last episode was quite sexual, wasn't it? <laughs> it really was. It was. I wouldn't go so far as to say sexy, because I don't know if we met everybody's bar on that. But there was a lot of... A lot of gooey talk, for sure. <laughs> there sure was. <laughs> so yeah, you you guys heard on that first episode, uh, which it I guess it might help to go listen to that if you want to know more about like why the hell we're doing this podcast. But you heard on that episode why the identity of butch lesbian is important to us, why we think butch lesbians as such deserve more cultural visibility. Um, and by that, we principally mean more sex scenes on television um, or on streaming services, even, we would accept. Um, <clears throat> we're we looking at you, Hulu. <laughs> yeah, we're looking at you um, and any others that are like inclined to support podcast Shudder, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. although lesbian sex in a horror movie has never gone well, as far as I remember. Um, I am also a fan of Screambox. If they'd like to give me a lesbian sex scene with a happy ending. Yeah, you know. I think if we maybe kind of insert the names of streaming services that are apropos to our content throughout this episode, that would be a good idea, not annoying at all to our listeners. I think that's a great idea <laughs> that I'm going to commit to wholeheartedly. Okay. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do my best. Um, and I on on the topic of doing my best, I was working on our script for this for so long um, this morning slash afternoon that I now at this point I've become like tired of myself, um, which means I've heated up some coffee and it's currently 5 p.m. where I'm at. And you know what I did? And I want to confess this because it feels wrong. I poured gatorade into it on purpose yeah um i was curious and now i don't want to waste the coffee but like it was not a good idea like but everybody i think probably would have seen that coming so i we uh we had a similar accident it was an accident though last week where our oat milk boxes look exactly the same as our like broth for soup boxes Uh oh yeah did make a soup coffee that was a questionable choice I got you. Uh, what, I mean, did you finish it? Like, oh no, that was, I went, that went right down the drain. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I, I, even I have standards, but I'm kind of known as like the family's raccoon. Like when somebody makes something and they're like, I did it wrong. I'm like, well, can I chew it? Can I swallow it responsibly? Like, I'll take that on if, cause I'm just, I act like I am like living in the depression. I don't know why. Oh, I get that. I've, I've been known to accidentally eat things off the counter, like pasta that I realized was uncooked oh i see you yeah mm-hmm. for sure i mean i once like dropped a like a whole box of nerds like on the street street like on the street and i was just like kind of collecting them and eating them anyway and i was like a child but i was like 12 like old enough you know to just knock it the fuck off 
Um, thank you. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we say a bunch of stuff about sex. So like, if that's an issue, you might want to like unsubscribe. Um, we talked, we also have like vulnerable conversations about identity, um, terms about like gender and sex. And we're going to have, we're only speaking for ourselves, but we're going to have some very, you know, in-depth conversations. So if that's not something you're feeling into right now, feel free to, you know, turn it off and go do something else. It won't hurt our feelings. We promise. (laughs) It will not at all. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, even we were talking just yesterday about how like the nuance that we're aiming for with this podcast is like emotionally difficult for us sometimes. Like it creates some anxiety to just try to put into words stuff that we've like never really said. Um, so that we're trying to do that. So like try to give us some grace if you're going to stick around. Um, and I hope you, I hope you like it. You know, if that's the kind of thing that you're interested in, like gender theory, feminist theory, that kind of stuff. I hope it's, hope it's what you, what you want. And I did like what you said last time is like labels as flames that we are moths to. So like if what we're saying doesn't, you know, ring true for you, hopefully it can be a little flame that makes you feel a little warm, even if it's not your exact flame. For sure. And I, we want to like spread that warmth, anything that makes you feel warm, let's Mm -hmm. hold us to that. We're going to try to provide that. And if you feel cold and unloved and, and any kind of bad from anything that we ever say, like, let us know. Um, cause that's not what this, this is, is for. Disco. We want to dance and feel good. Yeah, We want to dance. Um, so, and yeah, we actually talked because we should talk about the, the name, I think again, um, as we continue to introduce the world to our pod, we're talking about how words like stone and butch, um, could be like pathways to just think about how different sexy gendery words, um, offer these little beacons of solidarity or learning or sharing, uh, for, for us little all humans. I like that as a little human, little humans. We're just trying. And I think I said this too many times because of anxiety last time, but like, we're just trying to be like there for our, for our communities and like solve issues for our communities. So we're doing our damn best, but we are just little old humans. And nobody Um, is like, no one can ever be a representative of their own community because we have so many different opinions, right? So we're part of that community, but we can only really speak for us, but we are trying to have the big conversations (laughs) as humans. Yeah. I mean, we're trying to like talk, talk about how our individual lives and like what we want to do with our freedom around who we are and all that stuff is what gives us joy and also hold that in balance with like the more depressing things to talk about, like the stuff that Sarah Ahmed calls feminist killjoy stuff where it's hard, but like, we're, we're also raising issues about where history puts us. So we're thinking like big term society, but we're also thinking like little term individual trying to position ourselves in terms of what, what kind of being a butch lesbian today means on the little scale and on the big scale. So why did, did I just basically say that history was depressing? I feel like that's just kind of true. History is like now it contains great sorrows and great joys. Oh, I, I actually think that's totally right. And maybe that's part of the thing that, that you and I are kind of pushing back. Aren't we? We're a little bit pushing back on the idea that like everything was shit before and everything's going to be better in the future. Yeah. Cause I don't people... take it for granted that things are going to become friendlier for people like us. If yeah. we just keep on the trajectory we're on and like I don't know there's been times where people like us have thrived even even with like repressive societies so yeah I don't know history is complicated and so are we and so is the present do you want to talk about Leslie Feinberg perfect a little bit so 
Yeah, the the late great theorist Leslie Feinberg is our elected godmother of this podcast. And as such, we're trying to create something she would approve of. We're doing our best. Um, Her website says this about her identity. I didn't read this last episode. Um, So I'm going to start quoting it. So quote, Leslie Feinberg, who identified as an anti-racist, white, working class, secular Jewish, transgender, lesbian, female, (laughs) revolutionary communist, died on November 15th, 2014. She slash Z succumbed to complications from multiple tick-borne co-infections, including Lyme disease, babesiosis, um, and proto-myxoa rheumatica after decades of illness. So I just, that sentence alone. That's horrible. But as a a chronically ill butch Jew, I'm really thriving while I'm reading this very (laughs) sad paragraph. But But, um, I don't know. Do you want to talk about pronouns? Because I feel like most times I've heard people talk about Leslie Feinberg, they use he or they pronouns. Is, but this bio, did you say it's from her website? Their website, yeah. She, she, I, I said their website, but I actually didn't mean their, like Leslie's. I mean, Leslie Feinberg's people put together this website. It doesn't say that it was written by her. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, it's it it gives Leslie's pronouns as um, either she, her, or Z. Z here. Oh, okay. That's Z here. Yeah. Um, but I think we'll use she, she, yeah. So that's our, our idea here, um, is that we're going to use she, her pronouns for, um, anybody who has given she, her as an option that they're comfortable with, um, as kind of a recuperative project, because we've noticed that when people give multiple pronouns for themselves, um, others choose to use she, the least or like not at all compared to he or they if those other options are either masculine or neutral um and what's if really you're, interesting if you're looking at video if you're looking at video i'm like emphatically pointing at myself <laughs> yeah because <laughs> so I, I was yeah <laughs> please you can actually introduce this but of the two hosts right rachel you use exclusively she her pronouns yes as you talked about on the last podcast so I'm a grandpa and I didn't have you available while I was reading Feinberg, which is why oh, I wasn't seeing you point, but I do know that you were spiritually pointing at yourself. <laughs> um, but yeah, what's so bizarre is that you and I have both only heard Feinberg referred to as they, them, or he, him, neither of which Feinberg used. So Feinberg said in a few places that pronouns were not like the be all and end all of her identity to her and that friendlies, you know, in whatever context could use any pronoun for her that would capture different elements of gender because she just didn't see gender genders as these rigid categories or boxes. But she was also really intentional about the language that she chose. You know, that's why I think her website lists the identities that were important to her. So for her chosen pronouns, her explicitly chosen pronouns, she, her, and Z here, to not be the ones that Samurai had really ever heard in discussions of her work. If anything, it's like a politics of citation that makes it so much clearer to us uh, how important it is to to use she, her pronouns, because essentially like the female part of Feinberg's like really, really intentional female, transgender, lesbian cluster of gender sex identities, that female part kind of has fallen out for reasons that aren't clear, but in a way that we think kind of shuts down, I think the reasons that Sam and I in particular felt really drawn to Feinberg's work. Uh, but yeah, so we're, we're going to use she when we have that option, because that's not the one that's usually picked. So Sam, since you use she and they pronouns, I know you do have this experience. People assume that you go by they instead of she, even though you give both. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think honestly, it's, it's kind of assumed that they is more affirming to me as I'm like, 
a mass person that people read as masculine or I, you know, yeah. I, I see myself as masculine. I see, my, I see that as an expression of me being like a butch dyke, but I see myself as masculine, but I don't see that as being in opposition to like she is, right. I think the disconnect that happens with other people where they assume that like, okay, you might still have, she is a holdover. I think they might, I could be projecting, but I assume that people think it's just to be polite or something. Whereas it's kind yeah. of the other way around where it's like, if you cannot concept me as a woman, like, please, they is neutral. They feels fine for me. Yeah. And I would rather you call me that than he, which is interesting because I've asked to be called he at different times in my life. Right. Uh, presentation is so fluid, but it's very affirming to me because realizing that, I don't know, that Feinberg embraced she as somebody yeah. who I know like passed as male and points as in their life like I did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, I, as somebody who like passes as male, but uses she only to, to me, it's kind of like a political choice of that. Like I, I don't get mad when people call me he, I don't get mad when people call me they, I don't even really get uncomfortable. The main thing is I just want folks to know that like neither one of those is what I choose. And they, I both, I equally don't choose both of those. <laughs> like the the assumption that like they is better than he is the other thing that's confusing to me. Neither one of them is a crime to say, but there's not one that's like superior if it's not the one that I like go by. So for the same reason, I don't think that it's like better to they them Feinberg when Feinberg has been like she heard her by herself, you know? Yeah. I um, agree. But anyways. I, I know that's not a verb, but it just seems so efficient to use it as a verb. Language um, is flexible. It really is. It really is. Let's embrace that. So Feinberg's description on our website, it doesn't mention the terms butcher stone, but the book that we named this podcast in homage to is her her wonderful novel, Stone Butch Blues, which we talked about. We actually quoted, I think briefly that book, but also um, her book, Transliberation, which is just really badass. And we talked about how like, Feinberg's project was largely to not isolate trans analysis from lesbian analysis. And what has weirdly happened is that Feinberg, as in my experience in the Academy, which I'm going to talk about, has been kind of like, like shoved into a category that like she would not have embraced, which is trans studies soul by itself. And that, and in doing, in doing that motion of saying that this is a trans scholar, this is trans scholarship and not mentioning the other part, instead of saying like, this is trans and lesbian scholarship, that's kind of repeating an erasure that I that is like completely endemic to the academy and the reason that I quit. So we're gonna talk about that gross stuff. That's what I mean when I say we gotta deal with depressing shit. So well, as opposed to depressing shit, do you want to talk about some bitch euphoria? Oh, I'm so glad this is in the outline here. Maybe my subconscious was like, "You're gonna need this." So <laughs> thanks, yeah. past Rachel. <laughs> well, we were. Uh, yeah, go ahead. So, so, so yeah, we're trying to provide moments of butch euphoria that would be worthy of the disco floor. Yeah. That aren't necessarily yes. blues, but also we, last time we talked about that term euphoria and how much that promises and how it's like fun and important, I think, to make euphoria visible, but also like maybe what I'm saying is not truly the feeling of euphoria. So this is maybe a stretch, but my feeling of butch euphoria this week is I realized something and I, and I invented a term, which is that when I have like boots on at a club. Okay. Cause usually I don't know, like I've never been great at dressing for clubs, but I've often worn, worn like sneakers or something that's kind of like something that I deem like definitely casual. But like when I wear boots or even high top sneakers, I have a thing that I'd like to call ankle confidence. And 
by that, I mean, and it took me about three beers to be in a state where I could realize that I was feeling ankle confidence, but I was like standing in line, kind of like rocking back and forth. And I was like, you know what? Number one, my shoes look great. Cause my pants are like, kind of like, I don't know the relationship between shoe and pant seems like meaningful at this moment. And I was like, also, I'm not going to fall down. I can dance. I can step. I can, I'm not going to just like tip over because that can't happen. At least I, I'm not going to tip over at the ankle. I might tip over at the waist, but I was just feeling like really secure in my ankles. And so that's my, that was my moment of euphoria. And I know you're into fashion. So what do you think about ankle confidence? Honestly, as someone who wears boots constantly, I have work boots. I have play boots. I have boots that I use for theater because they have good uh, grip on the soles. Like uh-huh. I totally relate to ankle confidence and it's not something I've been able to put into words, but I have always felt like if you're wearing boots, you're ready for anything. I think that's true. And I like, I thought back to, I've done some like volunteer work with this, with team Rubicon, which is this like, um, it's mostly ex-military folks who do like service work and um, kind of as a holdover from their, their public service, they like find a new channel for it but they're civilians too and we we wear work boots for everything and I remember thinking oh god I feel like these work boots are too much and then through over the course of the day even when I was just working in a warehouse I was like no this is what I needed oh yeah definitely and like seeing my work boots like not work boots they're steel-toed docks that I don't need a steel toe for yeah like worn and nice but seeing those next to my girlfriend's like cute little fashion boots yeah there's some kind of euphoria there too there is. Okay. Yeah. 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 The butch femme boot contrast euphoria. I've experienced this as well. So I, I was going to elect your, and I told you which one, which butch euphoria moment I projected onto you and received from you vicariously. Was that the same one you were going to talk about? It really was, but it was just different <laughs> parts of the same day. Cause you, you were going to talk about what you elected as my pirate look, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Sam, I got, I got. No, I want to talk about your. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, you talk about my pirate. Well, I'm curious about your you. reaction to this look because I don't think I knew it was going to be a pirate look. Okay, so do tell me how you feel about it. I wasn't trying to be an asshole. I really <laughs> want to hear first your thoughts, and then I'll provide commentary. Well, okay, so I was going to get a really exciting haircut, and that is, there's a a friend that I met on a set doing like special effects makeup a long time ago. So I think Mm -hmm. I was 19. I'm 28 now. So almost 10 years ago, she became a licensed cosmetologist and put out on Instagram that she's looking for people do men's clipper cuts on for her portfolio. And I was like, hey, if you're okay with me, who is not a man, like I would love a clipper cut. (laughs) So I came for my free haircut and I was like, I want to feel good. I put on my button down shirt that's like black and white stripes Mm-hmm. Um, vertical stripes this, vertical stripes friend vertical stripes i have a denim vest i always pop on that has a hood and it has like it says it says your friendly neighborhood butch on it and has an axe Perfect. on the breast it's great it has pins so i just threw that on black jeans and then i had like thigh high fall boots that are like uh faux suede and i was just feeling like i don't know i wanted yeah. a statement boot um I sent Rachel a picture and she was like, oh my God, you're a pirate. And I immediately saw it. I don't know how I didn't see it. I might be watching too much Our Flag Means Death, but but it was so cool. And also to have a haircut that was for the men's haircut portfolio, but they were emphatically like, no one called me he once during this haircut. That's cool. Like it was, it felt good. It felt really good. And I usually give myself haircuts with clippers at home. So it felt nice. I've been in some barber shops where people didn't know how to treat me honestly. sure do you me get too. your hair cut at a barber shop 
Uh, well, I, yeah, technically it's the low end one sport clips. Um, and I actually have gone to the sport clips for so long that I have like friends who all the, all the people cutting hair are, are women. And I'm like, they're like favorite customer, I think. Oh yeah. <laughs> because, like, because we can like comment on things. I don't know. Like there's a, there's a cultural change, a li- little bit of a shift. I can tell like when I show up um, oh, in like great. the conversations and stuff. And I just kind of love that. So our, uh, our chair conversations were really interesting. Cause like we've talked on social media, but I haven't seen Jessica, this uh, hairstylist for 10 years since I was very early into like uh, being in like a marriage to a cis man, like mm-hmm. very, very closeted my whole life. I've known I liked women. So I was like there at like, we met at an artist who's like very like sapphic women like her. She talks about like canonically kissing women and stuff. It's like kind of a gay place to be, but being at such a closeted place when I met her and like coming back for her to give me a men's cut and I could tell her about my new life and my girlfriend, it was really satisfying. So my butch euphoria was being a gay pirate and having felt seen by somebody who saw me when I was closeted most recently. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. That feeling of like, Oh, you're you now. Like, not that we're, I mean, we're all on a journey that I don't think is ever changing. So that's not ever going to be totally accurate, but like the, the feeling of this is my comfy who I am right now. And I'm not uncomfy. And these people around me have seen that change and it's like an accomplishment. I love that feeling. Yeah. I think I said this last time, but I had a friend recently tell me that like, oh, you're glowing since you, you know, you came out and moved and are doing life on your terms. And right. I think that's like, I don't know, that's butch euphoria at its finest is once you get to like eschew all the rules that society put on you, you get to really glow. <laughs> I Yeah, I'm about that glowing. Like our little light. We're, we've got an yeah. extended metaphor. We are working yeah. on an extended metaphor. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think the boots really made your pirate look. And I just want to plug our YouTube. If you want to see Sam's fantastic fucking haircut, get right on there. Um <laughs> And don't compare mine. I, I'm gonna and look at them. our little cluttered millennial backgrounds. I'm in my uh, <laughs> office slash guest room. Where are you, Rachel? Um, I'm in my living room. This is, believe it or not, the room we rest in is this cluttered. Um, it's mostly action figures that are the clutter. Honestly, Flushes. very relatable. My girlfriend really likes to collect action figures and arrange them around. And I like, I'm excited to have be an adult who can afford toys. Honestly. That's what I'm saying, and that's. <laughs> I'm I'm really honored to have a wife who respects that that claim that I made that is like I have to do this now because I never had money before. So this is the only time in my life that I could purchase action figures and arrange them in little scenes where they're shooting at each other and stuff. I remember I was picking out this uh like sheet collection at Target and I remember my mom telling me that you should do this now because when you get married your husband won't like that. <gasps> And so I think about that all the time as like, oh my gosh, like my life is so cool. It feels like what sleepovers <laughs> felt like every night, like yeah. playing video games in bed with my wife and like she painted all her walls pink. And I don't I've know. never thought about that. I've never I'm thought so about the sleepover <laughs> life, like sleepover. Like sleepover. It does. It fucking does. Okay. That's a great okay. metaphor. So, so okay, to okay. actually come back to, you know, the podcast at hand, we do have a companion website, stonebutchdisco.com. Uh, Rachel has a lot of really amazing writing that hasn't really been seen by anybody that we're hoping to house here. I'll also have some 
exciting uh, little fashion segments. I'm an illustrator by day, so I want to throw in some little doodles. And we're hoping to have a little home for all our uh, butch ramblings at stonewishdisco.com. Quite. And even if you don't want to read like shit that I ever wrote, which is just going to be on one page, there's going to be a thing called the Lesbian Studies Bookshelf, which will have like a lot of other people's work that you can find. So we're trying to make it like a resource. And we're also trying to... Is coerced too strong um, your girlfriend into writing about film for us? I uh, sometimes when I want to fall asleep better, I ask my girlfriend to like tell me facts about film. I love that. It's just very soothing. So yes, we are going to have her write some uh, film reviews of uh, films that either feature lesbians or we feel particularly represented by. Sometimes yeah. they kind of come out of the woodwork. I feel represented by the Babadook. I don't know about you. 100. Yeah. And I want to hear why. And I want to feel why, um, because I get it. Oh, like, you, you know, know I provisionally else? get it. <laughs> Do you know who else feels represented by the Babadook, Rachel? Whom? Feinberg? No. Feinberg, but also <laughs> the products and services that support this podcast. Oh, and um is this intermission music you know like the 1950s like popcorn dancing across the screen intermission music i need yes that. i need that i can pull up a stock animation for youtube that's <gasps> one for you. that that'll okay, be cool so, so we're okay. gonna break there's gonna be popcorn dancing i sure do enjoy all those gay products and services oh absolutely i believe that we should produce and serve um our country i you know okay so <laughs> is there a jingoistic quote here yeah <laughs> perfect so um the reason that i'm so attached to feinberg i mean sam kind of alluded to my nerd work and that's really where we're going today so if you don't like nerds then fuck you but also if you really don't want to listen to like a lot of nerddom um you can check out right now but i'd really i think it's maybe a useful conversation if you're still here, you're a gay nerd, and I think you should be proud <laughs> yeah, of that. That is true. Okay. Never <laughs> heard anything truer. Um, so the reason I'm so attached to Feinberg is manyfold, multifold. Mm, but it really, really heightened when I was in grad school in Philadelphia. Um, I'm from Texas, as I've mentioned, and I kind of thought that Philadelphia was going to be like my emancipation. Like I wanted to get the hell out of Texas, especially out of Dallas, which if you've been to Dallas, you might understand. Um, but I was like a career nerd who was like a super into gender studies and human rights um, scholarship like kind of international studies-ish stuff. And then I decided that I wanted to, in grad school, study um, how video games produce empathy between people. And I got there and I was like, wow, I really need to actually study discourses of LGBTQ identity because like some weird shit's happening. So I was, I had read Stonebush Blues in college and it really changed my life. Like I, before I went to grad school, came out, kind of realized that I had some butch-ish elements to me, but was like so afraid of using that word that I didn't for years. But I had like an, my protracted adolescence in grad school where I was like figuring myself out. But I arrived in Philly having read Stonebush Blues. And I was so disappointed to find that like no one was reading Feinberg anywhere at the highfalutin University of Pennsylvania, um, even though everyone that I was hanging out with because of the classes I was taking and really most people in like the English history and humanities departments seem to be really into gender theory. I was like, OK, but Feinberg and when I heard Feinberg mentioned, it was always, as I said, like the trans scholar, Leslie Feinberg. And it would be like a one-liner, like kind of like, you know, Feinberg also looked at this, whatever. And I was like, but wait, wait, she says so much, like there's so much. So 
I really realized that the the super creative stuff that Feinberg does with like the kind of, I don't want to call them like boundary issues because it's not really a problem for her. It's like the the complexities around having a trans identification and a lesbian identification or like fucking with gender while identifying as a lesbian, like all that creative stuff that she was exploring with words, with discourse was getting labeled in ways that I think she would have like actually abhorred. Like I think the way what Feinberg was really about was not like allowing simplistic labels to like shut down a dialogue essentially. So I was like, what happened? Her kind of transing approach to lesbianism seemed really forgotten. Um, and her political dedication to the complexities of femaleness was like not talked about. So when when I found her website and I saw that the description of her on the website was that she identified as female, that was big because that we're going to talk about it, but that's not really a term that is interpreted as um, a political identity as much. Or maybe it never was. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about that. So I I learned in grad school, and I'm going to try, try not to like tell too much of this story, but I think it's valuable background. Sam, do you want to interrupt me? And like, no, this is wonderful. And I really want <laughs> you to keep going. <laughs> okay, so um, I think, thank you for that, by the way, I needed that um, nudge because I, sometimes I just get sick of my own voice and I already like, you know, exhausted myself, as I said. So it, when, when I read Stone Butch Blues, I was in a straight relationship and I, you and I can both talk in more detail about our like history of having relationships across gender and kind of what, where that positioned us. But reading her book put me in touch with like an interpretation of my body that was emerging through some, some experiences that were like spiritually incongruent with who I really was. So I was having heterosexual sex. I was like feeling not like that was so like problematic for me. I wouldn't necessarily call it always traumatic, but there was something complex about who I was and my kind of female body that I saw reflected in the most uncomfortable parts of Stone Butch Blues, if that makes sense. It was kind of like a recognition of the way that we deal with bodies. And it was taught, it would simply put, Stone Butch Blues was talking about stuff that people just never had talked about in my presence. Like, what it means to feel your body and to feel different. It no, it it really was like a a hard book for me to read, but important book for me to read as somebody who also is a and totally tune out here if this is like a trigger for you, but a sexual yeah. assault survivor. As as like a butch person who like it for all terms and definitions was trying to walk in the world as a man, but because of because of what I can't change, people were targeting me. <laughs> essentially that was something that Feinberg really talks about experiencing yeah so it, she really does and it's it's that rough stuff but it also made me feel so seen that mm -hmm. when I was in Philadelphia and it was kind of so I lived in Philly between 2014 and 2018 and it was kind of the cusp of a a change within queer studies where queer scholars or excuse me not always queer scholars personally they didn't necessarily identify that that way but people doing queer theory started to say well we're moving beyond queer theory we're moving beyond this we're going to the future it's not about sexuality anymore it's about kind of questioning categories and things and so I would say things like well femaleness kind of comes up in this book in an interesting way like I would say that in a seminar and people would be like you know women aren't just female right and I'd be like I yeah I'd agree with that 
but I really, really wanted to talk about like female experience in this book. And it, it just was not landing. And I was like, okay, so something's going on here. That's why I started studying the discourse of LGBTQ scholarship, which my advisor did not like because, because she was one of the people doing what I was studying. Um, and I really, I was doing an analysis of what was being said because there was this weird way that, that the, what Feinberg was doing, the project of like the female body and all the, all the icky hard stuff around that was like falling out of the conversation, just out. Um, and it hurt me. And so that's what I started doing instead of studying video games, which would have been way more fun. Um, (laughs) but as I spent more time at Penn, I realized that like the body of work that's called, that used to be called lesbian studies is like practically an, an anachronism. Um, which is not to say there aren't still brave humans doing it, but that it's not, it doesn't have the attention of publishing dollars. And it did, if you kind of look through the history of things for a split second in the 1990s, there was like some money flowing into books about lesbians. And it was informed problematically by like a rise in lesbian representation in film, which were not always great representations, but it was like, the word was there. And then it was just like, and then it just wasn't, um, I mean, it it appears here and there, but barely. So like no one was reading Butler's lesbian theory, which we're going to talk about today. No one was really doing feminist philosophy as such or feminist theory. Like the feminist scholarship that was happening around me was mostly folks talking to contemporary groups of feminist activists or contemporary kind of movement personnel. Um, and they, those people could be in the academy or whatever, but essentially they were doing like some interviews and then writing about what those people were doing as a sociological account, but not as a philosophical thing. So it was like, I didn't really have anybody to talk to about feminist philosophy. And I, I truly got the impression that my attempt to read and talk about it was just annoying everyone. It was just not kind of what people wanted. (laughs) Mm. Then this is, I'm still continuing my narrative, um, but when it came to being butch, that was where the the worst of the oof happened. Um, I got it asked at least three times at like otherwise like events that should be fun social events, whether I'd considered transitioning, which was a question that I've never fielded in Texas among LGBTQ folks. Like it's even to ask the question seems, I, have you been asked that? Like, I mean, w- no, were you because- asked that before? No, not really. Like, I think because before I, uh, like when I was a child, I'd wear men's clothes and stuff. But then I think as soon as I turned 13, I was like, oh, present facsimile of femininity. Yeah, me too. I kind of, whenever I decided to be myself, it was kind of like a major shift. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I was ever asked like, hey, are you considering exploring gender? Because I already was once yes, they were. saw me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess <laughs> that's it's interesting that people would project that on you of like, oh, I feel like I can see where you're going by what you look like. That's what I'm saying. It's this weird. And so when you and I were having that conversation about whether some folks think some genders are superior, or I was like, well, in the sense that it just makes me think about how I was interpreted to be on a trajectory that I had not like finished yet. Um, and I was like, what, I didn't really indicate to you that I even wanted anything to do with that. And I introduced myself as using she, her pronouns and my name is Rachel. And like, I just, I didn't give any indication that you would need to ask me that question. So why? I just think anytime someone assumes they know more about you than you know about yourself, they should take a step back. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I agree. But I started, you know, very furtively, I started talking to other folks who were 
who who used she her pronouns and and were lesbians and were masculine and they said that they had experienced similar things and i was like okay so something is happening here and then you know i've learned through a lot of our friendships with folks that we both know on instagram that that's that's a fairly common like leaning of people that, yeah. that like butch is seen to be like a step on a on a spectrum that doesn't end until you get to like a transmasculine identity um which doesn't, not everybody thinks that, but the idea that some people think that and can be comfortable thinking that kind of sucks. Um, so some awkward examples from my time at the Academy. Sam, do you want to hear this shit? I fucking want to hear this. Please tell us. <laughs> okay. Things that made me mad. So there's a historian who's like really involved with Penn who wrote a book about what they termed the history of transing gender, trans as like a verb, transing gender. So like fucking with kind of traditional gender boundaries, right? which I love that. And the book was largely yeah. about female masculinity. So like at this person's talks, I was like, okay, sick. Like we're actually getting some representation. Um, but so that, that person actually tweeted once that they made the decision. And this, this is true of their book. They made the decision to give all historical masculine females, they, them pronouns with the justification that we don't know how they would have identified. Um, and I wanted to contact them to ask, like, why would they then be a superior label compared, especially compared with she, her, when we, when we don't know how they identified, plus many of those people were nominally women and referred to in society as she, her in the time in which they lived. So it was almost like a corrective that was just so very corrective. I wanted more of a reason other than like, well, we didn't know. Um, you made a face. What do you think about that? No, it's interesting. I guess I was thinking about that book that I mentioned earlier, where it kind of positions anybody who took this role in life as that they possibly could have been a trans man. Um, right. I don't know, but it's like we do, we share, we share more than we are different, but assuming where somebody is going is where the issue is. I I agree with that. I think like everyone in this book that I'm talking about could have gone either way and it would have ultimately been like, so I spoke and I'm going to talk about this conversation, but I spoke with a journalist and had a fantastic conversation about gender and stuff. And they were saying that ultimately like for them being a masculine woman versus being um, non-binary was kind of a choice about words. Like they felt relief when they could, when they could use non-binary, even though masculine woman was not like a 100% mismatch. And that's not true for everybody. But the idea that like, we don't get to talk to these historical figures and we don't know whether they would be like, well, I'm she, her, because, you know, that's a political thing. Or like, I'm a trans man. We don't know what they would say. So why would we assume the latter? Right. Or at least assume it's they, just, them. I don't know. And it says more about us, I guess, than it does about them. <laughs> You're right. I think it's a kind of way to just diagnose like the moment we're in, in the academy, um, and by the academy, I mean, capital A, the production of knowledge as it comes from universities in the U.S., which I know it's like ivory tower, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. But the thing is, those readings get assigned to undergrads and all the people who graduate college are the ones who run the world. So, like, this is my issue. Um, mm. I, mean, I wish that wasn't the case, but it's like we we can't pretend like my advisor, who was not actually my chosen advisor, but this person was very hostile to my scholarship because it was a study of academic scholarship like hers, right? And I'm sure that was uncomfortable. And I didn't study hers, but it was like part of what I was looking at. Um, I she, she basically said like, yes, this is happening in the, in the academy. Like women are getting erased in the academy, but how do you know it even matters in the real world? And I was like, can you even pretend that what college students read doesn't matter? 
Right. Like what? And we're going to talk about that because people cite Butler, like, you know, people cite Judith Butler all the time. And it's like the reading that they took from their undergrad gender studies course is what sticks around. Like, that's it. Um, so anywho, there's that. Um, I, I, you know, I wanted to contact this person to ask, like, why did you use like this, this historian? Why'd you use they, them pronouns? But I also just didn't do that because I didn't want to be a killjoy. And I was just glad we had some representation in like female masculinity terms. So I was like, eh, it's already written. Like, what are we going to do? So um, that person's talks were always like pretty well, well attended. And the, the other thing that they said one time, just full stop was Butch is a trans identity. And at that time I was in my second year and I told you my second year was like the most traumatic. I was in a dark, dark place and I couldn't ask the question that day, but also nobody else did. Nobody else asked about that and nobody else ever would. I found myself the only person who would raise my hand and be like, what if it's more than that? Um, do you think anybody else in that class identified as butch did you talk to anybody um that identified I, that way nobody else in that class did um but there were some folks who identified as queer women who yeah. who like didn't say anything that's a lonely place to be where you feel like probably the sole defender of how you feel about that identity i, I mean i felt that way for four years and it's that's why i literally I'm burping and even though I stopped drinking soda three hours ago I hate myself I hate my body just kidding um, <laughs> so but I was I just felt so alone for so long so now I'm so glad that I found you because you're you're actually encouraging me to like spew like spew what has been just festering um so I I just kept hearing and Jack Halberstam who's like possibly the most famous gender theorist like right now um would say this too i kept hearing like what what the word butch does what the word identity butch does is that it transes gender but i never heard the word butch expands people's notions of what a woman is the word butch expands the definition of womanhood the word it was like it was always like crossing gender not existing within it and right. i just you know why why you know and actually i felt that so much because the expansion of what a woman means has really drawn my heart like being able to confidently answer the question, I'm a girl and fuck you for asking, like that really attracted me. And so when when that wasn't what Butch did, I was like, wait, where did I go? <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, I told, I think I talked about this last time, the Jack Halverson moment where Jack said in front of a packed house at the Penn LGBT Center that like he abandoned the lesbian community in the 1980s because it was depressing. <laughs> did I mention that last time? I don't think you did okay. because that's shocking to me. It's and p some people laughed and nobody said anything except for me. And there were easily minimum like 90 people in the room. And I was just like Is it a joke? That's horrible. It was kind of like tongue in cheek. Right. Um and I was just like why, dude? Why? <laughs> um so yeah. And then, oh, okay. So the final thing that really made me just crumble, and this is kind of a random thing, considering that that moment with Halberstam was like really rough. Um, the word lesbian. So I was like on the hiring committee for the LGBT center. Cause I, I was involved with the Lambda grads group and all that stuff. And um, there was a, an associate director candidate who was a finalist who described the word lesbian as an inherently transphobic word. Um, and I just very shortly after that interview, I broke down in one of my advisor's offices and I told her how I missed my neighborhood in Texas 
which by the way, I thought I would never fucking say, I thought I would never say I missed any part of Texas, but I was just like, I feel so foreign here because nobody else even questioned that. Like I pushed that candidate on why, and nobody else on the hiring committee said anything. Like I have some friends who identify as trans lesbians who are going to have something to say about that. (laughs) Right. Like, I mean, that's the same thing that I said. I was like, wait a minute. Like there's, there's such diversity within the category of lesbian. Like, how could you think that? Are you just not talking to people? Like, right. Do you just not care? And then, so I, I think I was the only person who was like, I don't know. I have some reservations about this candidate because how can you lead an LGBT center when you think the L is bullshit? Mm. Um, so, so in the name of taking this academic approach to lesbian existence that I think is almost impossible to find in the scene today, we're going to introduce a segment that we'd like to call let's listen to each other, or as I prefer, let's fucking listen to each other, sit the fuck down and let's listen to each other. So two things happened to me this week, Sam, and I need your input on these. I would love to input. Thank you. So all this stuff that I've just talked about kind of keeps it bubbles into my life, like every day, all the time in different ways. Right. And I know it does in yours too. So like, it's just kind of a coincidence that this week there happened to be like two things that kind of co-occurred. So the first thing was I was contacted by a journalist to talk about when I was fired basically for being gay by Irving ISD. Um, and, and what they did was ask me some questions like about my experience, which is complicated and you can find it. I'm actually going to just post a link on the website about the issues there. Cause I think this, the student expression stuff really gets me, but I will put it in the show notes too. For this episode. Okay. So um, one of, one of their questions toward the end of the interview was what do you think will solve the moral panics around gay and trans people that are happening in public schools? Right? Like what, what do you think will make people stop othering trans and gay people and is that our responsibility i know we want to do that (laughs) that kind of (laughs) sucks it was a big question but and i i answered honestly as a teacher i do think it's more my responsibility because that's my chosen career than like just any lgbtq person being like forced to do this work um but i said like my what i do in my class which has worked i swear is when i have i'll actually tell a story um I had a kid, I was teaching at um, the disciplinary school in Irving and I had a student who uh, just hated me, like hated me. And um, I wasn't quite, you know, you're always trying to kind of like ferret out what that is. Like I knew he hated school anyway, so I didn't know if he was just like mad. And then um, he said something under his breath that was a little homophobic. Don't even remember what it was. And I was like, hey man, like, do you have a problem with me, me, like as a person? And he was like, "I, I just don't like feel comfortable like with gay people. And I was like, oh, okay. So like, yeah. And I, and, but he said that and he made eye contact with me and he didn't say it in a way that was like super aggressive. Cause obviously you have, you have steps you take if someone is physically aggressive in the classroom, but I can deal with verbal aggression. Even the thing as a teacher that you can do is say, Hey, okay. So you've identified that feeling. That's, that's really important. Um, I'm wondering why, why you feel that way. Uh, and then he changed his tune and he was like, well, I mean, like gay, gay girls are okay, but like, I don't like boys. Like that's gross. And I was like, okay, well you have that thought, sit with that thought for a second. Think about why you feel that way. When you point out, Hey, your friend over here actually doesn't feel that way. That's interesting, right? What makes him feel differently than you. And so you, you do this like analytical project where we stop judging the feelings. We start trying to identify 
the feelings. That's weirdly similar to what I do in therapy for like anxiety, right? Is yeah. that judging the feelings is the enemy of getting anything done when it comes to puzzling out those feelings. So we got to like, those feelings are valid. You should recognize it. If you have anxiety that comes up because those are messengers, right? Like if you feel uncomfortable when you see a gay man, that's telling you something about things you've internalized. But like, if you just thought, Oh, I'm a horrible person for feeling this, like it's not going to help you in unraveling and disassembling those feelings so you can approach gay men better. And, and so my position, that's exactly how I feel like it's, and I think it's also totally informed by my therapy too. There are, there are things that people can heal from. There are fears that people can sit with and, and change. And I know that that's possible because I have seen members of my own family, including really old ones, learn how to be as not racist as they could find possible by just sitting and freaking thinking about what they were saying. What are you saying? Why are you saying that? And, but having the space having like a loving interlocutor who's like, you can feel that, but do you have to? You can feel that, but do you have to? And can you, if you feel that, can you just let people be themselves? Like you have to ultimately fall in this kind of like pluralistic, you have to respect other people, which means you can't be just spewing hostility um, in the classroom. It doesn't work like that. And this kid totally transformed. And I had another uh, student who really, like we kind of got down to it. She had, she had been like, fuck you. And like left my classroom one time. And I called a meeting with her and her counselor. And I was like, man, I understand having the feeling of like wanting to say fuck you to your teacher, but like, let's get to the root of this because I'm actually here for you. And uh, she ended up telling me like, I really don't like white people. I feel really uncomfortable learning from white people. And I was like, that, I understand that. Do you want to like, but you know, this is the situation we're in. And I had her just kind of write about it for like her next, like five writing assignments were modified where like, she could just write about how she felt about white people. And she ended up talking about a white friend that she has who like cuts through that difference. Right. And our whole relationship changed. And so I just like believe in people. And I think we have to believe in people. So this was the conversation with the journalist. Um, and I think that their response was that's really idealistic. Right. Because I was like, I know that sounds idealistic, but I also right. think we, I also think we don't have another option. Um, and, but what they said was one of the first things they said in response, like after I kind of laid out my thing that I try to do with those kids was, you know, there are some people who are just not worth talking to like turfs, right? You just can't talk to them. They're never going to heal from their opinions. Right. And I was like, well, what part of the turf ideology prevents dialogue with those people? Like what part is it that you think these people are really go- threatening you physically or, you know, what part of it is so beyond conversation? Um, and after a couple of conceptual kind of hops and leaps, we got into a conversation about whether people, people in general can have different ideas around the definitions of sex and gender, around what sex means to them and what gender means to them and whether those people are allowed to have those different definitions. Because I said, you know, full disclosure, I have seen the word turf slung at people in a way that I think is disrespectful to their experiences. Like I've seen inter this is ridiculous internet stuff, right? But the internet is so influential. I've seen people trying to talk about their experiences with rape, their experiences with abortion and being told that the way they're talking about it is exclusionary. And I don't think that gives people enough credit to you talk about themselves, but also like not exclude others. And so I, 
at first I was like, well, how do you define the word turf? Because I really have seen that used against a lot of different types of statements. Um, but then I was like, some people who I've seen called turfs just have these different types of attachments to their bodily sex. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, the people came to my defense, cause this was kind of like an especially ridiculous example, but there was a person who, after I had posted something about female butchness, whatever on Instagram, which got like 70, 70 likes. And everybody was like, we really would love to have this conversation. Somebody like hopped in and was like, this sounds turfy. And then everybody was like, what does that even mean? But it's, yeah. and where this stuff really gets interesting. Tricky. Cause there are people who identify as turf as a trans exclusionary radical feminist. And that's people you can have like an ideological conversation with about. Right. But like if if that's like a label we're assigning to groups of people or if it's like if something reminds you of that argument, you can say that to somebody and their opinions aren't valid anymore and you can't talk to them anymore. Right. That's right. becoming difficult and limiting conversations like yeah. like bringing up something. I don't think I've ever talked to you about this, but somebody when I uh I advertised, I believe it was like a meeting of the school board after after you had resigned from your position forcibly yes um, i i posted about that on instagram and they said that they had had an experience with you that I, they thought was minimizing of like non-binary people okay and i asked them like oh please tell me about this experience i've never yeah. had this experience with rachel and they were talking about like well the way that rachel talks about herself i guess made them I, and I could totally be misremembering this. I'm sorry to this person if they're listening right now and they yeah. remember this conversation another way. But the way I remember it is that they felt the way you talked about themselves felt minimizing. It, it brought up things that made them feel less than as a non-binary pe person. And that they thought, yeah. I think they had brought it up in your comments and they felt that like, because they weren't, didn't feel seen as a non-binary person that like you couldn't be an effective non-binary student shepherd <laughs> like right. as a lesbian like, maybe because you don't identify that way like you can't also protect children who feel that way or them or that like right because you don't, don't identify that way that you're an enemy in some way yeah, i that's what like, it's so silencing it i know really but like the way that it was kind of like, oh, well, I had this turf problem with Rachel, so you should take her opinions with a grain of salt. You don't know. When I hear that, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's like, yeah. you told them, like you're not valid. And, well, and, and it's person... that it was them projecting on your experiences. So it's like that. these silencings. It's it's really, it's an issue. <laughs> it's an issue. And the other thing is if they, if they raised it in the comments, right. I didn't see it or like they didn't really raise it with me in a way that would allow for a substantive conversation because that is you know not my soul and not my intent and no but also like nobody is responsible if you're talking about your personal identity you're not responsible for representing anybody other than yourself honestly yeah. is my belief so i think that's my my like suspicion of the way that words kind of usage has expanded is that i i think that that's what sometimes happens that like if you drop certain words, like my femaleness matters to me and people don't see that themselves in that, they think you're excluding them. And really it's just an opportunity for them to say, actually, my experience is like this. So yeah, I, I, I just feel like we got to be careful with like labeling people um, for their ideas, for their ideas before you even really talk to them about what they think should and should not exist in the world. Right. Um, yeah. yeah.
Well, that sucks. I mean, I, I hate to hear well, that, it's but hard I also because, understand. Like, we all have trauma is something that we were talking about this morning, right? And I really do think that the way that we are, we categorize each other in this way because we're trying to protect ourselves in a way is right. how I feel. That like, I also like, especially when I was identifying as like a binary trans man, I was probably on the lookout for quote unquote turfs, right? People yeah. who would tell me that like how I see myself is not accurate, but- Who are assholes. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but because of that, like, because you're on the lookout for this thing, if somebody else flags somebody as this term, I'm probably going to be less likely to hear their ideas. Which I think is why it's so good to have this in a podcast, because I totally understand, like, the the flash of like something ideological on Instagram, if it's an idea of any kind and it doesn't use your language, it's, it's scary when you have trauma underpinning it. Like I am guilty of that too, where I'll, I'll be scrolling through Instagram and I'll be like, E that's too, like too close to my heart. I don't want to have this conversation. So I'm just going to like scroll. I'll just ignore. I won't be like, fuck you. You didn't include me. I'll just be like, I can't handle that. So I move on. But, um, I think we need to be able to talk through it. So I think a podcast is actually a good means of this. And I, I could understand how, posts of mine that say something that truly sometimes can feel I don't know contrary to like the way the ship is going if there if we presume that there is one LGBTQ ship sometimes I'm the person who's like well there's actually like a little wave over here on this side and I understand how people might be like stop it but I I also don't think that I don't think that stopping it is like productive um no I'm going to say it thousands of times, I'm sure in this podcast, and I'm going to, hopefully I'll find a more eloquent way to put it of saying that we have more in common than we do. Yeah. Different, you know, and I'm, I'm looking at your beautiful outline here, but you mentioned that like we, if we're trying to defend ourselves against people who actually mean us harm, right? Like people on the super far right who don't want us to have rights, yeah, who like want to limit what we can do with our bodies, then we have to get on each other's teams in a way and listen to each other and kind of, I don't know, form some sort of defense against that, or we're not going to have as much of a chance. I totally feel that. And I feel like I, there's so much opportunity to build that coalition. And we, the only thing I think standing in between our stuff is like these buzzwords, what I just said stuff, like the idea that if someone says something, they're your enemy. Mm. And I, that is so sad. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Now I'm getting all serious, but uh, so, so this part, so let me go back to this, this conversation with this journalist, because I was kind of like, okay, so what, who are TERFs? What is that? And then um, is, is the problem that they have another idea about like what sex means, right? Is, is the problem that they think that sex isn't going away? Um, Is the problem that they think that sex is bimodal, meaning like most people are male or female in terms of their experience? And um, they were like, well, you know, that's kind of tr- true. Like most, most people are male or female bimodally. Um, but then they added um, sex is, is just more diverse than male and female. Like there's intersex people. But then, but then from that, the kind of analytical or ideological step that they also made after that was that therefore you can be whatever gender you want to be without that being informed by sex. And I was like, we're getting closer to, this is actually an ideological difference, maybe. Uh, a quick present tense interjection from the editing room, which is actually just my living room, because I feel like when I was re-listening to this, like my point wasn't super clear. So this is what I was talking about. Here, I meant to be referring to the idea that like the forms our gender identities ultimately take aren't in some fundamental way informed by our starting point or like by the materiality of 
the way our bodies are thrown into the world under this category regime of sex. Um, I think I do think that's an ideological question whether whether it's possible to finally disentangle the weird stuckness that we're like thrown into the world with sex from the gender identity options that we then have. Like even the way that I would perform being gender nonconforming is informed by um, my sex to me, right? That's my, that's my understanding of it. And I do think that that understanding is maybe a matter of opinion about the words that we use and how we use them. So that's what I'm referring to as like potentially being in the realm of differences that are political or ideological or social and not so much like somebody's right and somebody's wrong. And But interestingly, this person cited Judith Butler's philosophy as saying that, as saying that sex is like a non-binary phenomenon, right? And I was like, wow, that's a coincidence because as you know, Sam, I burped again. I'm just going to keep doing that. As you know, Sam, I just finished this, this part long... of the canon now that we're just like, look, we're girls who burp into the mic. This, <laughs> is, this is our brand. <laughs> it reminds me of that uh, commercial of like women who poop. So like the next level will be <laughs> us like pooping on audio. I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> I, I have a friend I who a meme on Instagram that said it was just a flower in the toilet and it said I found a girl poop. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So like girl poop. Emotionally, emotionally, Rachel, like when you hear the word turf, like what comes up for you? Well, I mean, honest, I think the first thing is like um, the anxiety of wanting to know what happened. Like when somebody calls somebody a turf, I'm like, what are the facts? Like who said what to who and why? And I think I have a, a distant memory. Luckily, a lot of people have come to my defense in comments because I would just crumble if that didn't happen. But I do have distant memories of people being like, this is exclusionary rhetoric. And I'm like, I didn't mean it that way. Like, I didn't mean it that way. So I, I think I, I'm afraid when I hear the word turf, first off, because it sounds like people are being assholes and I don't understand the dynamics. Yeah. Who, who was the asshole, right? Like, who's the original <laughs> asshole? what's happening and then the so, other thing is i don't want to be one no and you're not like in the first <laughs> episode i would got really defensive when you were talking about us trying to be less shitty people i'm like rachel you're not a shitty person Aww. like <laughs> what even if somebody like doesn't un like understand or see themselves in what you're saying like you're a nice person you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings yeah. you know and, so this might me. like shed some light on that but like when i would first hear the words turf and like I have a lot of like trans femme or trans woman friends, right? I would think of somebody. I okay, so I have a personal rift in my family <laughs> regarding bathrooms in particular. Oh, yeah, there was somebody who was posting a lot about like the trans people are trying to get in the bathrooms, and my parents in particular were like, "People like you are why my child has a hard time." in the yeah. world so to be yeah. to be candid like i still use i use the women's bathroom and partially because of the bathroom panic i've been shouted down in bathrooms or like yeah had weird interactions recently way more times recently than any other time but you know and so there's people in my family who don't like really talk anymore and i kind of when i think of the word turf i think of people who are like so afraid of people who are gender different but like just trying to live that they're like restricting their bodily yes. autonomy but right. so that's why it's not fair when i hear something like oh like rachel is a turf rachel said something turfy like i don't i you have a, i have all these emotional interactions with that word that automatically get applied to you and because of that like your opinions are less right relevant somehow at least they would be if i didn't know you 
<laughs> right. Right. And I, that's what I worry is happening every, everywhere, right? If it's happening to me, then how many other people have, who have not done years and years of work in this and don't have the receipts, like how many other people are just scared to even talk anymore? Um, mm. And that sucks. Like that just sucks. Cause it's not, I, to me, yeah, a turf, the original use of that word when I learned what it was and I was like, ah, good, a word for that. I thought it was an asshole. Truly, I thought it was an asshole who wanted to cause like physical harm to trans people. Me too. Or, <laughs> yeah, I, it had this physicality to it. And I was like, what the fuck? So when that one time maybe that I saw somebody actually kind of say that on my profile, I was like, whoa, like, whoa. So I was actually on break, like, and I'm probably going to think about it forever, but I was wondering, I, I think I kind of dug out of my subconscious, like who that person is that might have talked to you about this. Um, because I remember like a long time ago, I ended up posting, it's like this post that I made that says like, Hey, LGBTQ folks, please talk to me. If you feel like there's an issue with my, with my posts. And then I remember this person, we actually had what is like what would be generous to call a conversation, but right. they kind of slid into my DMs and they were like, you're blaming trans men and queers, trans men and queers. You're blaming trans men and queers for butch invisibility. That and seems like the same person. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I wrote this thing that was like, whoa, like I was just trying to talk about me. Right. And then there were people this, I was just looking at these blessed people who were like, Surely, like one of these comments, and I, I'd like to read these because I want the world to know that you and I are not like alone on this front. But um, somebody said, for what it's worth, I didn't read your comment that way because they were talking about some comment that I had made on somebody else's post, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think the complainant was being disingenuous. Surely we can speak up about our experiences as butch lesbians without being seen as anti-trans men. I've been misidentified as a trans man before and had people assume I want to transition. Just as trans men don't like being mistaken for butch lesbians, we like to be seen for who we are. It would be good to talk more about our experiences as butch women in life and representations in culture without people assuming we're transphobic. Um, and then a couple other people said, I, I quote what you say because I agree with it, um, which made me feel good because I was I was really scared after I think this person. I think I honestly kind of shoved this under my subconscious level because the way that the accusations were just accusations and attacks made me feel like I should just hide from the internet for a while. Um, because it was like, they didn't want to hear what I meant. Yeah. Um, I know what you mean. And somebody said, I want to thank say, thank you for making noise about the erasure of butch women. We're out here. God damn it. And then somebody else said, how about we just stay focused on the subject that's butch women and our experiences and stop trying to turn this into an us versus them thing. And just a lot of other people were like, I think if a lot of people thought you were a turf they would have like brought that up with you in like a real way and they were like I've never seen that I just think that like what you write is kind of complicated and so that's my the reason that I read those is like there are a lot of people who echo the feeling that butch women are not visible enough and then they echo the feeling that when they talk about that they're seen as turfs mm. um there's actually there's another thing that I could quote but I won't but like people who have been who commented on this that said that they have been mistaken for turfs for talking about like being a butch woman. And that is unfucking fortunate. And I think like what we have talked about earlier is that means that like their opinion is therefore invalid and should right. be listened to. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's just read as, I, I think the prop, the problem here that's, that's troubling us is that for a lot of folks who are like 
on the boundary between being a trans man and being a butch lesbian there well for a lot of them that's how they would describe it but for a lot of butch lesbians and trans men there's no like blurry line like that like it just it kind of depends on where your standpoint is and yeah, so like i think when we point out like for instance the way that this went down is like we point out the invisibility in language or culture of the term butch lesbian and i don't even think that we're making a comparison here between butch lesbian and trans man but to talk about being subsumed under the category of trans as a problem is what people think means that you're blaming trans men then. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So I think that's what's going on where like both terms come up and then people are like, why the fuck don't you like trans men? And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I I just am not one. That's all. Absolutely. Um, So it's just icky, but yeah, I totally dug that up out of my memory like ew well thanks for judging up some memories with me and i totally forgot about that (laughs) comment until you were talking so it was cool to like chat about that yeah yeah well and thank you for like you know keeping like i know that you just let that like roll into one ear and out the other and i and i know that it took because we all have histories with words like that i know that it probably took some took a lot from you to be like well hold on (laughs) (laughs) wait well i have the same in instinct that you have often which is i would like more information please (laughs) yeah yeah exactly like wait like let's define the terms like who do i need to be mad at because i'll be mad at just tell me why (laughs) um yeah so that's that's all so so sorry yeah do you want to go to a corner where there's nobody to be mad at i love a corner where there's nobody to be mad at where are we going let's talk about our mask lesbian of the week oh that's fantastic let's lighten this up a little bit um we so we have two. We technically have two. Yours. Yeah, we have How one. Do you want to do each. it? Yeah, we can yeah. each talk about who we wanted to talk about as our mask lesbian of the week. Sure. Well, like you nominate. We both kind of co-nominated these people, but I feel like yes. you like you knew where you wanted to go with our. Yeah, with our and they're totally life. they're totally different directions, right? So, yeah. um, <laughs> I would love to talk about Leah Delaria, who you might be familiar with from yes. Orange Is the New Black. Uh, butch lesbian icon i believe like i was very excited to see during that series has like a butch tattoo yeah i love that i've always wanted that i think i think that's in my future but (laughs) she uh produced is a really awesome comedian who i look up to a lot and produced a film called the lesbian bar project which talks about the decline of women's queer spaces which is huge phenomena uh here in california i believe we have just one full-time lesbian bar it's called the gossip grill in san diego it's lovely i've been there and the first time i ever went we uh my girlfriends and i went home with two girls to meet their cat which is very very gay <laughs> that is the gayest thing i've ever heard her name was sheba she was like 13 years old she was mm-hmm. beautiful i believe i just I think- saw your cat recently oh behind yeah you. Where are they? I feel like you need to put that in the Yelp review of that place. Though. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I there was a lesbian bar. I don't know if it was the same lesbian par- bar project, but I was at Dyke Day here in Los Angeles. It's a beautiful day in the park with lots of vendors. People just have picnics. I went with the big group and we brought a grill and yes. drinks and just hung out all day. It was lovely. But the lesbian bar project was interviewing people. And so me, I left a voice memo basically about our experience that day about you know, how we felt. And actually I had in in true gay fashion, I had a broken ankle from roller derby. So I was dancing on crutches. We went home with friends to meet their cat. Like it was just a great, great day. (laughs) That's, it sounds legendary, truly. 
who's your uh mask lesbian of the week well mask lesbian of the week is the incredibly brave Brittany griner who as we know is a wnba star she has been um convicted of what here would be a small level drug offense but in russia yeah. is a big 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 old offense which was essentially so something a, everyone can do so essentially for having like a small cartridge from from a vape that used cannabis in her bag mm-hmm. uh, she's been convicted of like large-scale drug transportation is being convicted and sent to a penal colony or she's currently in a penal colony and the phrase penal colony scares me <gasps> like it just does also it's i totally phenomenal. misspoke it's the phoenix mercury the sons of the men's team you know when you first start talking about her i was gonna say how gorgeous she is but i feel like that's not relevant right now because she's like suffering but i just <laughs> Brittany griner was released not too long after we recorded this episode so i think we can officially talk about how gorgeous she is there's this conception that i feel like there must be something we can do as a country quote unquote yeah. like how do we get her out but it just seems like it keeps getting worse for her it just keeps getting worse. And it was like, when they said she'd been moved to a penal colony, they said, and we're not expecting to hear from her soon. Or like, her lawyer is not expected to have contact soon. What the hell does that mean? And <sighs> she is beautiful. And the other thing about her, like, if we're looking at her visually, she is so cool under pressure, like through the shit. Like, yeah. she's, I don't know, like, she is just First of all, the fucking fact that the WNBA players have to go play in other countries for like have to financially because they make like a piss poor salary compared to the NBA players is nuts. Um, it's also nuts that like, if you think about it, you know, would we have let Kobe Bryant not be traded back from Russia? Would, yeah, would they leave Kobe Bryant in a Russian penal colony? I don't think they would. I mean, the other there's a lot more money at stake if you leave Kobe Bryant. It's it's true if you leave Kobe Bryant mm-hmm. in. If if we had left Kobe Bryant in in Russia, people would have lost millions of dollars. That's not the economy of the WNBA. So literally what the actual fuck, because the Biden administration has said the only way to do anything here is to negotiate, right? A prisoner for a prisoner. So they're not doing that or what's going on? And would they have fucking done that if it had been Kobe Bryant? Yeah. And there were millions of dollars, billions maybe at stake because the star NBA player was like, I just don't know. It feels like the economy of this is a problem. Well, what I'm hoping is that we get her back quickly and that like Chelsea Manning, she becomes like an outspoken person because of what's happened to her because she's going to be such a she's so uniquely positioned now to talk about what's fucked up here. Yes. And I just want I want to hear her voice because we can't we haven't heard much from her other than kind of like the cursory like I'm okay kind of. Yeah. Um, And she yeah, she's she is such a role model already for being like such an openly kind of masculine lesbian star, just a star. And um, she has so she has like even more to come back and tell us about. So get back, get her back here. <laughs> Whoever <laughs> can do it, fucking do it. Um, um, do you yeah. want to talk about a sex, a lesbian sex fact that may surprise you? Indeed. So this is our segment called It, it Needs Music. We're going to work on that. This may surprise you. Um, so, uh, Last week, I mentioned something that I think I I think maybe deserves some more elaboration because I have a catchphrase about this. So like I had said that it's possible for butches and anyone else to um, use a strap on and come that way. Um, 
And I, I do know that this is something that not everybody really knows, like, or is comfortable doing, I guess, but I'll explain. I'll explain. It's about, I was just very excited. And I was like, you need to tell me more. Cause I hope to see this in my future. Yes. Yes. So it's completely doable. It's completely doable. Now what you're going to need. And I am about to proceed to give Sam an entirely one-sided account of how this might happen, which actually we then recorded. So I'm releasing the episodes like in reverse order, but we recorded with Maribel and Jenny, a longer episode about like coming while strapping. And so there's like way more factual information in that episode, but here's, this is like a, a, quick rundown, quick and dirty, as the college professor I had a crush on would say, and I would sweat. Now, what you're going to need is going to be a dildo with balls. Okay. That's number one. That's part of the formula. You don't, you don't have to, but it's like way easier based on like where you are positioned to um, come if you have that. But the thing is, this is my catchphrase. It's about the lock people. It's about the lock. It's about the lock. It's about the lock. So like, you have your dildo. There's a flat or a not flat surface. The um, the ones with like suction cups are risky because that's not necessarily going to align with you, right? And I also wouldn't recommend the ones that have like bumps on the other side for stimulation because trust me, you're going to get enough stimulation. So you need like a flat surface, I think. And you put it like if you have a um, what's the harness that's like shit? It's not a rodeo one. Rodeo sponsor us. It's a. It's made by the jock people. It's the tomboy harness from jock. It has like a hole that's like higher and a hole that's lower. Depending on like how it fits you, you can put the dildo in either one of those. And and like with rodeo, rodeo is so flexible. You can kind of like, honestly, you can like kind of pull it up so that you can position it so that you achieve the lock. The lock is a like magic, magic thing that happens where the flat surface of the dildo like locks onto your clit. And Whoa. I guess- I guess vulva a little bit, but it's truly, it's like, like natural suction. And if you can accomplish this, then you can actually like feel like you can really feel the inside of your partner through the, yeah, through the, like, like, you know, like almost like sound waves, like the vibrations, it's close enough that you can feel the way their body is through the thing. And then that's super hot, obviously. So if you're doing it hard enough and long enough, you can totally come like that. And it's also like, you can feel like it's, it feels like a kind of satisfying, like give and take because yeah. that other person knows that like you're feeling pleasure while they are and stuff. Um, so yeah, go for the lock and believe in yourself. Cause I just, I've talked to so many people who are like, I can't fucking do that. And I'm like, no, I really think you can. You just need the right setup. <laughs> like, Cause often I don't think, I don't know. It's it's hard to get things positioned exactly the right way. You have to have a toy you're comfortable with yeah. and have that have the lock. The lock. So, oh my god, and I was going to do this eulogy. You know there's a dildo that I was like really attached to. Oh my god, did not even catch that pun until right the second. That had the perfect kind of design for this. Rest in peace. Rest in peace Vamp Tallulah 1 and Vamp Tallulah 2. The company doesn't even exist anymore. I swear to God, I was so desperate. I emailed their founder and I was like, yo, can I have your silicone molds? Like how much do I have to pay? <laughs> like, seriously, I was like, holy shit. Because you and I, we would make money on this shit. This one is perfect. It's like easy to arrange. It's got like balls that can kind of be wherever between your legs they need to be to like accomplish that like connection. And it's perfect for missionary because it's actually designed where like the angle is like, easier for the person receiving like missionary so it's like i think this dildo isn't popular 
because it doesn't serve like anybody other than lesbians who want to have missionary sex. So it's like that. Where did it go? Your audience is wrong. And we can help you. <laughs> we can help you, man. Okay. So there's that lesbian dildo justice is what I'd like to say. Rallying so cry. When we're recording today, we've just passed the midterms. Woohoo. Um, and we had heard that there was going to be a beautiful red wave, much like The Shining, that the elevators would open <laughs> yeah. and that the Republicans would usher oh forth a new, a new conservative era. That is- and the red wave seems to be absent, Rachel. Where, where is this red wave? I mean, unless you're talking about my period, which threatens to begin in the next <laughs> couple of days. I can't see it. Where is it? Where's the red wave? I'm so happy. We we did good, guys. We we, we voted. I don't know. <laughs> really did. I feel like so I had kept seeing these like scary images that were like, this woman's going out to vote, aren't you? And it was like a woman who had circled like homophobic things on a piece of paper. I don't know. Oh, I, I was like, like scare tactics of the... to get liberals to vote. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I saw some liberal scare tactics and I fell for them. I was going to vote anyway, but I'm glad we, you know, didn't lay idly by and let all the uh, yeah small small town races go wild because I'm right. Well, here in Los Angeles, we're still waiting to find out if we do have Mayor Rick Caruso. Yeah. <laughs> but it seems like not. It seems like we might have gotten away. Fantastic. So. Yeah. I another burp. Um, I definitely <laughs> did. I I saw some scare tactic stuff, like not on local media, not here, but like liberals being like, don't let this happen. And so I just definitely like got up in the assholes of everyone around me and was like, Are you voting? Hey, are you voting? Have you voted? Are you voting? Do you know where your polling place is? So that worked. I can on help me. you vote. Yeah, I can help you vote. Do you need me to drive you? Like, what? I like to live in other people's assholes. Oh, gross. That's. I was gonna say that's a little hot. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Depending equally... on if you like anal play, <laughs> you know, living is a little strong. But um, <laughs> oh yeah, so there's this this article by Lauren Leader is the name. I didn't know her before this, but she wrote an article for the Hill titled "It's the Women Stupid." Which is like the she was talking about how basically the overturning of Roe v. Wade and just like the incredible bullshit coming out of the right right now is why women went more blue um and i just think it's a great article and it's funny because um you know like i think maybe clinton clinton's era it was like it's the economy stupid it's always money it's always money um and usually the incumbent loses ground especially in like a shitty economy and this time women were like no it's us yeah we're we're fighting for bodily autonomy here yeah we really are it actually matters Okay, it's time. I told you there was a goose outside my door. It was a sign of the future. It was an omen important. It it was. Would you like to introduce our next segment, which is arguably my favorite just because of the sound? I have been excited about this segment since before we started recording our first episode. Welcome (laughs) to Fuck Fuck Goose, where we tell you about two absolute fucks and a surprising goose. Yeah, the goose is like the fucker who like gets the crown like fucker award so it's like oh fuck you but you were like a little extra sneaky about it so you get no award for how much of a fuck you're being exactly so who's your fuck your first fuck so my fuck is uh our our our, what am i gonna call this who what is this it's it's herschel walker What are we going to call Herschel him? Walker? What is what is Herschel Walker? Maybe best known for possibly, probably, almost definitely pressuring former partners to have abortions that he says he is opposed to under any circumstance. 
Um, this motherfucker keeps whipping out a sheriff's badge. I don't know whether it's real or not. <laughs> and he's saying that he's the honorary deputy of Cobb County in Georgia. He this has- fucker is going to go on an airplane. <laughs> they're going to give him like a souvenir air wings yeah. badge. He's going to be like, let me fly your plane. Yeah, he's like that. He also apparently said that he supervises six different hospitals all right now, like currently supervises what okay so here's my feeling you know who fucking else did that who i recently wikipedia'd because Ooh. my wife guardy was like what is this i wikipedia'd colonel sanders the kfc yeah. dude and that fuck not a colonel not a colonel um he wasn't really who, who i thought of was l ron hubbard l ron hubbard he like <laughs> let's say he gets a participation certificate he's gonna uh, really milk that for the rest of his life like oh he's a safety captain you know, See, I didn't maybe even know that. Yeah, that- L. Ron Hubbard and his followers will really milk every achievement. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I was like, so Herschel Walker and Colonel Sanders and L. Ron Hubbard can just go fuck themselves. Um, I just think he's like Walker is like the Colonel Sanders of our apocalyptic present. That's what I wanted oh. to say about him. But I also don't think that it's apocalyptic anymore. Like I think I wrote fuck Herschel Walker like before the midterms even, and shit looks a little better now. Like Raphael yeah. Warnock has hope. But anyway, fuck you, Herschel Walker. Fuck, fuck you. you. We wrote this and we're glad you're not going to have power, but yeah. still fuck you. Still. Hey, my fuck this week is Mr. Ron DeSantis. Are you familiar <laughs> with him? I uh, have no idea. No, I'm just kidding. Fuck that guy. Well, Mr. Ronald DeSantis is the 46th governor of Florida, but he's number one on my personal shit list. <laughs> <laughs> he signed uh, the Parental Rights and Education Bill, which we all commonly know as the Don't Say Gay Bill into law in florida which you can you can probably some summarize this much better than me but it kind of uh construes us talking about our realities as sexual right and therefore Mm -hmm. inappropriate for children Mm -hmm. that's pretty much it i mean it's the same way that like we're not allowed to talk about that was a great verb by the way we're not allowed (laughs) to talk about like like race at all because they've and they they call that critical race theory they don't know what the hell critical race theory is it's like high high theory but like you're basically not allowed to like mention race or being gay and um that's he's he's pro all that i don't know if they have a critical race one in florida i'm sure they have similar but the critical race thing really hit us in texas Mm. um well fuck you texas uh textbook makers and fuck you ron DeSantis. (laughs) oh i saw a nauseating headline i think it was the new york post that said like desantis is de future because he won no. by like a landslide and i was like oh like, that is awful <laughs> um okay so here we go We've who's our goose who's, who's our, our special goose, goose? our special goose huh? is uh samuel alito um because this fuckstick lied to ted kennedy back before he was confirmed um as a justice a supreme court justice lied to him about his commitment to protect roe v wade and to respect precedent and even gave like legal reasons that you wouldn't overturn roe v wade basically just to get confirmed and kennedy didn't believe him but alito still tried which makes him an extra fuckstick I'm feeling a little haunted right now, knowing that like the specter of Samuel Alito was right outside your door, honking at you. Ooh, okay, that's a little extra scary. That's, I mean, we thought it was lesbian Jesus, and it might have been like our version of the devil. <laughs> Shit, Samuel Alito is our devil, essentially. Yeah. This week, he's our devil and our goose. Gooses, geeses, geese seem satanic sometimes, like in some contexts. Oh, I agree. Uh, so. In middle school, my little gay friends and I would uh, 
cluster around this lake and there was geese that lived there and we'd name them all after famous assassins from history because they were clearly horrible people so there yeah. was like john wilkes booth the goose there's a <laughs> i mostly remember john wilkes booth so i do have like a pe shirt that has a goose and it says john wilkes booth under it john and sharpie Whoa, oh that's you kept it that's amazing that's amazing samuel alito wishes he was the goose john wilkes booth he could only be so lucky exactly yeah all of our geese are gonna fall short of that standard for sure (laughs) man all right so go for it yeah i I feel like i feel like you knocked on my door and you showed up with um something kind of entertaining i did uh knock knock rachel who's there sam top top who top and you if you're lucky (laughs) <laughs> i feel like it would yeah, be the God. reverse <laughs> that would be, okay okay that's a good ad Ooh, look at that we that's, um as we beg for involvement in our youtube page go to our youtube and and assert which of us would be the top i think there's a pretty there's some arguments for both sides oh yeah i think so so let us know in the comments yeah we want to know we also just want to hear from you we're kind of desperate for your attention um what's our email rachel our email it's uh stonebutchdisco at gmail.com um our instagram at stonebutchdisco our youtube i think you just search stonebutchdisco for the channel um but we'll put all that stuff on the website and on our insta it's pretty easy because it's all stonebutchdisco stuff yeah um hopefully by the time this is out we're gonna have some custom art and maybe maybe a little patreon for you to head over to if you like what we're trying to do but if you yeah. don't, just send us a little nice little fuck you. Just don't put if you don't like us, email us the fuck you, okay? Don't put it on the rating. If you if you have something mean to say, just email it to Ron at RonDesantis.net. Dot net. Dot net dot Ron. Um dot net dot Ron. Hey Rachel. Yeah. yeah. Have you heard the good news? I sure haven't. What is it? It's which lesbians, it's us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cackle every time like a loser. I love. I always joke. think I'm going to say something uh, heavier, but I'm just like, no. hey, it's us. We're here. That's it. Hi. Hello. <laughs> We're the Hello, good news. I'll hand you a pamphlet. Hey, we'll um, ring your doorbell. And we'll ring your doorbell. And speaking of pamphlets, uh, all that stuff, all that theory that we were like teasing will, will be in your ear spheres next week because there's more to talk about when it comes to like the complexities and and the exhaustingness of of contemporary feminist theory we're gonna solve some problems well that's a big claim we're gonna talk about some problems fix them try to fix them yeah (laughs) that is all that is all okay well till next time how do we sign off shit we don't have a sign off hey let's disco hey let's disco like this (laughs) okay great yeah Bye. Shortly after Sam and I recorded this episode, I actually set some of my thoughts to words um, that were about the term turf that we kind of like, like, I guess, wandered into when we were talking about it here. But I found a um, an academic article that used that term and kind of black boxed it a little bit to where the definition was remained unclear. And so I, I do kind of like a discourse analysis of the word and how it pops up, because I think it's really an important term. And it's something we kind of need to deal with. Um, and so, yeah, that paper is called Are Trans Studies and Lesbian Studies Compatible? Of course, but not if we behave like this. And it deals with um, misunderstandings, I think, on 
in, in different camps of academic land, but also um, things that kind of trickle into the discourse in wider culture and stuff. And so I think I, I'm really, really proud of it. It's I've, it's one of the better things I think I've written that actually I think provides provided some clarity, at least to me, on how to think about the words that we use. And with that, I think I'll sign off. But I will say next week's episode should be pretty interesting. It'll be a hybrid where um, my wife is going to show up for part of it and talk about lesbian identity in Mexico and kind of her experiences growing up. But also, I think I'll pull again from the archives of Sam and I just like shooting the shit about being butch lesbians. And Sam's hilarious, of course, and I try to keep up. So I hope you enjoy next episode. Yeah. So see you next week. Back again like flu season. I broke records while loose leafing. I'm coming now. My roof leaving. Don't give a fuck. I don't care. Uh, did the for my lonesome. No wonder now I'm on one. No shortcuts on that long run. All I really want is my shit.